0: Welcome to Panel Discussion's World of Old Krypton. Today, uh, it's a very unusual episode. We're going to be shorter than usual. I'm here with Jana Anderson. Hello. And Nicole Drum. Hello. And we are going to be talking about House of Zod, the latest episode of Krypton, briefly. Uh, I will also share some audio from our set visit back in December when the showrunner talked about the big Zod twist that happened tonight. And so, spoilers ahead for anybody who, for whatever reason, clicked on this without having watched the episode first.
1: I would hope if you're seeking this out,
2: you have seen the episode already.
0: One would think, but you never know.
2: You know, some people like to cheat and jump ahead before they watch I Might Be That Person. This is not an episode to do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely not. You you definitely want to see this one unspoiled. Absolutely,
1: yeah.
0: And the other thing we'll talk about briefly, as long as the girls have time, because they are working, is... uh, Action Comics number 1,000, which came out today. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, So first off, uh, when I was on the set of Krypton, another journalist named Aaron Sagers and I were sitting around talking about how cool would it be if this was Zod? Like, if if the whole thing was not that it was about destroying the planet, but it was actually about saving it, and that's the time discrepancy. And Adam got it all wrong. (laughs) And the publicist (laughs) overheard us, and freaked out and essentially brought the showrunner back for a second interview to talk about just that because that is the twist that happened as you probably saw if you watched krypton tonight
3: why we're we're, you know keeping zod under wraps and why it wasn't mentioned at comic con amongst the other things because it is it is such a big like season changing like it's a it's such a game changing twist for us it's that mid-season point where the whole you know the whole first season gets turned on its head 180 degrees and you know adam comes to krypton with a very specific message to say you know superman's birth is uh his very existence is under threat and we have to stop brainiac brainiac is you know coming back in time to change history but we all know that brainiac was always coming to take candor city and that's what adam got wrong zod was coming back to change history, mm. and so that's the kind of big, the big turn in, in the season. So
0: no. uh, with Zod, obviously, with Brainyank, there was the idea that he might be trying to destroy Krypton early. With Zod, he has no reason to do that. So is he trying to kill no. Superman, or is he trying to save the planet?
3: He's trying to save the planet. So that's the Zod, you know, yeah. So it's a triple twist. <laughs> he's not. He's, it's Zod, but he's not. It wasn't Brainiac coming back to destroy the universe. It was Zod. It was Zod traveling back in time, but not to destroy Krypton to save it.
1: <laughs> That's so crazy that you, like... Because I, I knew that you had guessed the the general conceit, but I didn't know you had guessed, like, the, the specificity of it all to the point where they were like, oh, my God, okay, hold on.
0: Well, what it was was that originally I thought... Zod would be a perfect Season 2 villain, because whereas Brainiac is trying to destroy the planet, Zod would be trying to save it, but the end result for Earth is the same.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, that was kind of my outlook, too. Like, before I knew that this was happening, was kind of like, oh, we'll see Zod eventually, and it'll kind of be that dichotomy of, like, the opposite of what Brainiac was doing, but I never would have thought it would have been, like, at the same time.
0: It was great, because I, uh... The casting crew dinner that we did the night that we arrived in Belfast, it was before we had done the proper tour and it was before we had guessed the twist. But Colin Salmon did join us for dinner and we were just instructed that we couldn't talk to him at all about the show. (laughs) Hmm. I ended up sitting between Colin and the showrunner Cam Welsh at dinner. And so the whole time it was actually it was a lot of fun. They're both really nice guys. But it was that thing of every time the show started to come up, I was super nervous about it because I was just like, I I just, I felt like if one of these guys says the wrong thing and the publicist thinks I was trying to fish it out of him, that's the bad, that's a bad day. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's a bad uh, seating arrangement when you're told don't do this. Yeah.
0: The nice thing is that because he used to be on Arrow, I was able to talk to him about, you know, Arrow, his movie Criminal that I had reviewed on the World City Video Podcast Mm. and some other things like that. So he basically just told me, Oh yeah, I'm Black Zero. Like that he he thought that his not thought, but he was presenting that his name was Black Zero. Mm. Mm, And so he was like, Oh, I'm Black Zero and that's all he told us all night. And I just kind of let that slide because I'm like, Okay, fine, cool. I'm not supposed to talk about it anyway, so (laughs) why not? So what did you guys think when you, I mean, obviously I think that I told you guys at work before you actually saw it, but how did you, how did you like how it played
2: out? Well, interestingly enough, even though you told us, I had completely either missed a part of what you said or forgotten it. I remember that because you
1: asked me like a couple of weeks okay we're like what is the big twist and i'm i kind of said it i thought you were saying it like kind of jokingly and then i'm like oh i think she did genuinely forget yeah
2: i totally forgot like i had other stuff i was i've been so excited about seeing like the mythos on the show that i've been digging into like those little tiny detail things Mm -hmm. that like it slipped my mind entirely and so then when you reminded me i completely didn't even think about the time aspect of it so when i actually saw it i was like Oh my God. And then, you know, my fiance reminded me that I should be saying, Oh my Zod. So (laughs) perfect. Well played. But Indeed. Yeah. Like I, as someone who had kind
1: of known what to expect, I still was very impressed and surprised with how it was executed. I love that it wasn't this kind of like ominous, I don't know, like the way that I had pictured it playing out was completely different from how it was. And the fact that it basically boiled down to just like, Oh, hi mom. And then that was, yeah. It. Just yeah. The execution of that was so unexpected in this way that I really appreciate.
2: And I think that what I really liked about it was Zod is always like the bad guy. Right. And when you see him pinned down, bested by his mom, there there's an innocence to him for a split second and he's just like oh and you almost see like this dare I say goodness about him for a moment (laughs) and I really appreciated that because this the show kind of flips things a little bit outside of what you'd expect and to see that moment for a character that we've had kind of ingrained forever Mm -hmm. as being Mm -hmm. a bad guy that that moment of little vulnerability where he almost like a little kid showing off what he's done. (laughs) I I truly genuinely appreciated that moment. Yeah.
0: I I do think that because this is David Goyer like story and obviously the way he wrote Zod in man of steel was very much, he was essentially what in the comics, the eradicator did where he wanted Mm. to preserve the sanctity of Krypton. And that manifests in very negative ways after Krypton's destroyed and he wants to essentially take over another planet to uh, to basically set up a new Krypton. But I will say in this show, it has the potential to be a really interesting conflict because obviously for most of the characters, other than Adam Strange, it's not actually a bad thing if he saves Krypton.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know. It I don't know. It's it's going to be such a weird, like, I totally didn't expect it when Brainiac was introduced that then we would have this kind of opposing force mm-hmm. against it. Like, it, it, I don't know. It, I genuinely do not know what is going to happen for the rest of the season, and that really excites me, like, not knowing what to expect, but kind of trusting them to, like, lead the way.
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that they had done such a good job of setting up clear stakes, and developing interesting characters means that when they flip the table like this, you're a lot more invested than if they'd been trying to play some mystery box the whole time and you you knew there was a twist coming.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, one of the things that I was doing for the last couple of weeks is knowing that we had this huge moment coming, I did not want to tell people Oh, yeah, this this week's Krypton has a huge twist because I, I didn't want people to sit there and go into it thinking that they were going to get blown away. I wanted people to have it the way that it was essentially written, which is that you think you know what's going on until literally the last second.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think part of the, like, the genius of the way they executed this episode is the fact that now it's a week before we learn literally anything. All we know is all, the only thing we actually learned is he's General Zod.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And obviously uh, the, the comments that, that Cameron made on the set allow us to dip our toes into some speculation and, and some understanding of what's coming up. But most people who aren't reading these interviews and who aren't immediately jumping on Twitter about this, their takeaway is, holy shit, that's General Zod, and now I don't know anything that's next.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what makes this show on some level... Um... Really good for even like for a casual or a beginner Superman person. Yes. And then somebody like us who have, you know, deeply invested ourselves in these characters and their history, both as fans and professionally. Because for those of us who know what's going on and are reading everything about it, we're like, oh man, this is getting good. Yeah. And then for the casual approach, it's they're just like, literally hold on to your butts, guys, because mm-hmm. here we come. And I think that's one of the, the things about this show that really elevates it from just another Superman show. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah. This is almost like an an accessible intellectual version of the story. (laughs) And I know that probably sounds a little corny, but the fact that there's so many layers of things woven in there, but it's all still a complete mystery that you're willing to go along with. I I mean, the Zod thing is the perfect representation of that. We, We know who he is and then we know nothing else. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and we've gotten used to him for two episodes now to where, like, it's a character that you already were following and you were curious about before the reveal even happened. Whereas Mm -hmm. if it had led with, oh, hey, it's Zod, the perception of everything he had done as a character would have been completely different.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, if we had known going into the whole situation where he's basically imprisoned Seg, um, we would have been like, oh, that's a total Zod thing to do. (laughs) I really... Oh, sorry. Now we don't, and now since we didn't have that frame of reference, it kind of it kind of let that develop in its own organic way.
0: Mm-hmm. I really thought, and I talked about this last week on the podcast, because neither Jeffrey nor John picked up on it last week. <laughs> I really thought that when he said the when when he said the thing about another L who fails to see the big picture, and Seg said, "Oh, so you knew my grandfather," uh, Zod's response was something along the lines of my history with your family is complicated. Yes. yes. I was sure that everybody on Twitter was going to be like, oh, he's a Superman villain. He's a Superman villain.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, I think- that, like, combined with the promo for this episode being like, oh, my god!" and the fact that... Like if you were looking for it, there were little hints. My main thing that I kept going back to was the fact that he like snaps a couple of people's necks, which feels like this I- irony in a nice way to be like, yeah. Okay, he's God and he can do that. And it's framed exactly like the Man of Steel thing. But like it, it was shocking to me in the, the age that we have of fandom of everyone kind of hyper analyzing everything and looking for the in the details for stuff like that, that the vast majority of people did not see this coming.
2: Well, I think our hypervigilant, um, uh, I can't talk, <laughs> tonight. you know what I mean, that looking for the details, I think sometimes actually plays to a show's benefit, um, mm-hmm. because you are looking for stuff like that. Sometimes you miss them. And I saw someone on Twitter, and I wish I had retweeted it now, Um, when they saw that scene, their assumption was that somehow this mystery figure who had had, you know, said captured, Was related to uh, to Lyda, like as a father or like a lost brother who was like bitter and angry because he didn't become a Sagittarii. Mm -hmm. That's where they assumed the complicated history came in because, you know, maybe this guy's been creeping on his sister and doesn't like Mm -hmm. Seg because he's hooked up with her. And And I I was just like, that's an interesting read of that. And so I think a lot of people were so looking for details that they could just be like, gotcha, figured it out, that they were looking for the wrong detail.
0: I'll also say it's not a non credible read of it because obviously one of the things that we saw in this episode was that they used the misdirect of Jaina's brother. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: When I, when I saw that in tonight's episode, I briefly was just like, maybe they're messing with me about this song thing. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe this whole thing has been like this. Let's throw the, let's, let's throw these folks off the scent mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it really be the brother who is all like mad and gnarled and out to get no, no 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 that was
1: <laughs> that was
2: definitely not it but that would have been a cool story too
1: well and i love the execution of that of seeing all of those flashbacks because then you get so much like character beat kind of in that story while also having it be a red herring as opposed to mm-hmm. like another kind of red herring where it would just be like oh this is just a misdirect and that there's really nothing else behind it but like you also got something else substantial from the fact that it was being a misdirect
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i will say uh and I, I don't know for a fact that they're twins, but I kind of got, for whatever reason, that was the impression I got was that they were twins.
2: Mm-hmm. I also read it that way. Um, uh, their their ages and appearances seem to hint that. Yeah. And also the fact that it haunted her so much.
0: Yeah. Uh, which, to me, I, I kind of love the idea of Jaina being a twin.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Because uh,
0: yes. there's a definite Wonder Twins element yep.
1: to it. Ooh, uh-huh. Uh,
0: and, you know... Obviously, Anna Gbomo having been in Wonder Woman, so you got Wonder already. But uh,
2: <laughs> Sounds legit to me. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so that's... Uh, I, I really liked how they shaped up the twist. I, I also really dig the fact that in the same way that this week we got the big Zod reveal and then we got dropped off the cliff, that happened to us last week with the Brainiac takeover of the voice of Rao. Mm-hmm. And cool. this week, we really did not get any direct follow-up on that storyline.
2: Yeah. You're right, we didn't.
0: And, I mean, and and it's a good thing they didn't, because there was just so much going on. It would have been like a Riverdale episode where you try to cl- cram <laughs> in the <that> nice <main> plot.
2: <laughs> it also would have probably lessened the impact of that Zod moment, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the flip side, it also would lessen the the impact of the voice of Rao um, being taken over by Brainiac as well. Um, I think both of those are significant punches that, Mm. you know, it's it's like in a boxing match, you you land one way to beat, land the other and just kind of see what your opponent's doing. In this particular situation, those have to settle with us because I have a feeling next week's going to be crazy.
0: Yeah. And I I really like the idea that we now have Darren Vex and Jaina Zod essentially teaming up against Brainiac and they don't know it. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, all right. Any any kind of final thoughts you want to say about Krypton before we talk a little bit about action?
2: Um, I think in addition to the big Zodriville, I really appreciated the kind of elaboration on Synthana tonight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was, I, f- I mean, as a person who loves those little things, <laughs> I really like that that popped up. And I like that we got more than just you know, kind of a passing reference that, that definitely feels like something that's sitting on the back burner simmering. And I really I a, think that that's going to be something to watch.
0: I have a theory about the Outland stuff and it it borders on the spoilery. So I'm not going to say it on here just now, but, but you're uh, going
2: to tell me later.
0: Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you later. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, again, there's the, the line of dialogue from Zod last week where he said, you know, my history's complicated in this week when he said, you have no idea what you're doing. That woman is the key to, uh, to stopping Brainiac. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a very particular theory about how and why she might be key to stopping Brainiac. And if I am right, it sets up one of probably the coolest ideas that the show could possibly give us. So. It, color me intrigued yes yeah, yeah. so start start kind of scratching your brain and thinking about like what else could come of that and the only reason I'm kind of being coy about it is because I my theory is far from confirmed based on a set visit however one element of my theory I know more than the show has yet told us um, and so okay. it's not it, it's not entirely fair for me to just be like haha all the information says this because because I have slightly more information than the show has provided. Okay. But uh, that's a thing where I'm just looking at it going, huh, that's an interesting line of dialogue. Like, why would this crazy Sithonite woman be the the key to stopping Brainiac? And I think I have an idea, which I'll, I'll be talking about, I'm sure, in the next week or two.
1: Awesome. Can't
0: uh, wait. Before we go into action, I do want to point out, because this is, a big, uh, this is a big reveal and because it did come on Action 1000 Day uh DC Comics sent me an Action Comics 1000 t-shirt. It's a size large, which is too small for me. And so on Twitter, I am giving it away. And what I'm doing is essentially telling people, okay, send me your reaction, either a tweet or a GIF, or if you want to record a reaction video, uh you got to follow me at Russ Burlingame, follow Cameron Welsh, the showrunner, which is Cam Welsh, all one word, underscore. And then... Send us the reaction. And tomorrow at noon Pacific time, I'm just going to drop all of the reactions essentially into a, a bucket and pull one of the people who responded to my, uh, to my call to arms uh, out to give a T-shirt to. Awesome. So that if you're listening super and you haven't done that yet, go and you can win a, uh, you know, a Jim Lee Superman T-shirt. Before I speak with Jenna and Nicole about the Action Comics 1000 milestone issue, I wanted to share a brief conversation, very brief, that I had with Brian Hamelin, who is the co-owner of S- Silver Snail Comics here in Toronto, Ontario, where I am uh, doing a set visit for work. I went in at about 80, 8.01 this morning. The store opened at 8. my uh, I, I didn't – I had to jog there, so I didn't there quite – on time to see the people lined up outside. But when I arrived, it was a mob scene in front of the new release wall. There were a couple of dozen people trying to get comics. You had a lot of people who were just pulling their regular comics, and they were baffled by why it was a, a scene. And by the time I got a chance to grab the Action Comics 1000 issue that I wanted to get, because I wanted to get the Dan Jurgens variant cover, the, the racks had been almost totally picked clean. And this is a big store, they have a lot of overhead, they have a lot of product, and they have a couple of Eisner nominations under their belt. I was like, holy cow, did they sell out in five minutes? The answer was no, they had long boxes full of Action Comics 1000 on the floor, and the owner had to come out and restock the shelf. I sat around for about 45 minutes uh, so that I'd have a chance to talk to him for a couple minutes because I wanted to get his temperature on – how much of a success Action Comics 1000 was and what he expects from the Bendis era for Superman. So feel free to take a listen to this conversation and then join myself, Jenna, and Nicole again so that we can talk about the book itself in just a couple minutes obviously you guys ordered pretty huge like yeah. what is what does action mean for you guys because you're a store that's been around for quite a while yeah
4: we around this will be our, our 42nd year uh, our anniversary will be in May so that's the 42nd year business so I mean we have been around for like a lot of those issues yeah so yeah it actually hitting like a thousand is pretty it's pretty insane because that's like a, you know that's a milestone that
0: realistically not a lot of comics are going to yeah. make it to it's so only the few and as, as a retailer you're kind of a staple of the community. Yeah. Uh, action is the, the kind of cornerstone on which the kind of modern comics industry is built. Yeah, 100%. Uh, what do you guys, like, what, is, what does it say about the future that you can still drive this kind of enthusiasm?
4: Yeah, I think it says, like, like definitely, it's it's a really really good sign, especially when like there was a point where Action Comics was not selling well, like you know like kind of even like pre-New 52 stuff, and then through like it's just you know just the sales weren't weren't there for that book, especially like in New 52 and stuff. Once once Morrison left, it was like you know it just wasn't there. So the fact that they're kind of able to like actually lock it in, just like. It's not like the interest isn't there. It's just sometimes the creative team isn't there, the story isn't there, but it's like when they actually have something good going. Well, that's get very excited yeah
0: the Bendis thing interests me I think yeah. because the book uh, Superman in general feels yeah. like it's been as good as it's been in about 20 years yeah exactly and, and yeah. now we're we're shaking things up yeah what are you hearing from your audience or from your customers about how they feel about the
4: I mean Bendis is definitely like I think that's probably like, the biggest get that DC's done and like I mean Tom King is, was big because yeah. it was like they were both kind of trying to get him but I mean Bendis is like that's the Marvel guy yeah. he's the one guy that was creating an IP for Marvel that was original and yeah. letting them run with it like Thanks, that's he is he's the one dude doing that so it's like it's pretty insane. To, for them to lose that creative voice, but also for DC to get it, like I mean, the excitement around him going there it's like it's definitely has driven a lot. Of, a lot of people to added pull this. So like, yeah, if we want the Man of Steel uh, miniseries. We want like Avengers yeah. things over and stuff. And I think it also drove a lot of sales on this book as well. It's kind of like this is where it's actually right. to begin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea that like I mean, the way it's selling, I probably didn't order enough, and I ordered like so Too many boxes so many times <laughs> what my normal order of action counters would be like yeah like you know kind of ordered like well, let's hope this is working yeah and i was like oh shit yeah, it's not even close so yeah i think it's just overall like a very good sign, especially it's not a cheap book
0: so uh comics 1000 what, what did you ladies think
2: <sighs> i actually really loved it there were <laughs> there were stories i liked better than others Absolutely. Uh, there's one story in particular that really ground my gears. Um, <laughs> and I anybody who knows me in real life and may <laughs> follow me on social media um might have an idea of which story that is. Um but I ha I have to admit, like I, I went into it with a lot of expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very first story in the issue, um
0: from the brought city t- everything.
2: Yeah, brought, yeah. I'm actually getting a little emotional thinking about it. it actually brought me to tears. Uh-huh. Um I, I, I got a little bit emotional and I, I thought it was just beautifully done. And it is such a landmark issue. Um and I think what I really appreciate about that one specific story within the issue, the whole issue is mm-hmm. is just beautiful. Um, The variant covers bring me all kinds of, like, nerdy joy. Hmm. But I think what I really loved about that first issue was it gave Lois a really significant role to play. Yeah, And a lot of people have forgotten that, yes, this is Superman's big 80th, but it's also Lois's. Yeah. And she's always been kind of like a little fictional role model of mine. So that was a really big deal for me. But I I didn't care much for Bendis' story. Yeah, um, I, I for was a lot of reasons.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for you to say like the one story you didn't care for to see if it like lined up with the one that I knew what Russ thought and I knew what I thought. So I was just curious. I'm glad we're. All...
2: Oh, it drove me insane. Um, I told a friend of mine this after reading it that I'm like, I-, I really felt like Bendis came in and was just like, "Hey, I'm here. Allow me to disrespect your character. Allow me to disrespect yeah. this history." And hey, love me for it. And that is not going to fly with me as a fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I wrote... Uh, I actually counted it up, and I wrote 3,500 words on this comic today for comic book. And I'll I'll link to my full review in the show notes for this podcast. But the the one thing I will kind of quote from my own review, because it, it it's the thing that really sticks with me, is... This is a book that is about what Superman means. And these stories are all trying to say something. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, in the truth, Bendis and Lee, the only thing they're trying to say is, hey, look, everybody, Brian Bendis and Jim Lee did a Superman story.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel about it, too. The story Um, felt like nothing more than a very forced ad for something that we don't really want.
1: Yeah, it was just like a prequel and the fact, I don't know, the placement of it also kind of bothered me because it felt like such a weird note to end it on. I feel like if you had even put it in the middle of the issue and then had kind of ended the issue on a more triumphant note, I maybe would have like accepted it a little bit better. But like going from all of these stories that end on such like hopeful kind of undertones and stuff to then end with Bendis' Bendis' thing just felt odd to
2: me.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: And I think what really, I think actually really bothered me in addition to all the other issues I have with that. I mean, I think I did a pretty good job of writing diplomatically about how the story, how Bendis's story makes some changes to the Superman history. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be diplomatic. Um, <laughs> but I think what really got me is that Superman is a character of hope. Mm-hmm. He was kind of created out of hope. He's been built on hope. And I'm not saying it's been perfect his entire 80 year run. But seeing the way that final panel was in the truth, yeah. this literally said, I, I had the actual thought of, has Bendis ever read a single issue of a Superman comic?
0: <laughs> yeah, the thing that really exhausts me about the, the ending, and, and I mean, I guess spoilers uh, for, for anybody who hasn't read Action, you can probably bail out at this point, because uh, we're all on the same page. I thought it was a really great issue. I thought that the Marv wolfman Kurt Swan one was a little lacking because it was so Frankenstein together from existing disparate pieces. Yeah. Mm. that was like yeah. a
1: charm to it in a way. Yes, exactly. Yes. And the fact
0: that they had Swan in the book yeah. bought, bought back a lot of goodwill for that. But other than that, I thought it was a really great book full of some really great stories. I particularly liked both the Juergens one that you already mentioned and then the, uh, uh, the Scott Snyder, Raphael, Albuquerque yes. one where, yes. uh, where it ends with, with Lex and Superman going like, I know, let's go home. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. That but, one was the one that, like, tugged on my heartstrings. With, that, I, like, I got a little emotional there, too. <laughs> how, how much that affected me. I loved it.
0: But, uh, yeah, but yeah, the Bendis one is really the only thing that sticks out. And and it's funny, I've been ambivalent about Bendis taking over, but it's not because I don't like Bendis. It's actually mostly just because if you're going to bring this, like, high-profile higher in and kind of give him carte blanche to reinvent mm-hmm. something it feels to me like maybe do it on a property that needs reinventing. Whereas Superman right now is in the best place it's been for about 15 years.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that too. I also think that I would be a little more willing to, to go with Bendis on whatever path he is taking this story. If they had included that in any other issue than 1000. Yeah.
0: That, that was another, and that's actually, it's funny. Chase Magnet, who reviews comics for us at, at comic book. Uh, he and I typically don't see eye to eye on much. Our tastes are very, very different. (laughs) And we, uh, we both like respect each other's points of view, but we, we almost never agree on anything. And last night while I was putting together the last bits of my review, I noticed that Chase had done basically exactly the same thing I did, which was a slideshow. but instead of just reviewing each one and then, uh, doing it in the order that the book was in, he ranked them. Oh. And uh, while I didn't agree with many of his rankings, he did have the best one at the bottom. And the thing that he said, which is something that all four of us have said at either on this show right now or in the weeks or in the weeks since we've seen it for the first time was this was a story that might've been better if it was not in this book, but it just feels so out of place here. I'll also say that the the Jorel of it all. Oh, that's that's we never did actually. I started to spoil and then uh <laughs> but yeah, now we've we've essentially discussed all of the non-spoiler stuff that we are going to discuss about action. If you really don't want to know what happens at the end of the Bendis story, you can skip to the last minute and hear where to follow us on Twitter. Uh so the thing that bothers me really about this Bendis story is the fact that they are building on the Mr. Oz story Mm -hmm. that Jeff Johns and later Dan Juergens had had kind of developed. And the Mr. Oz thing was a strange and probably not good high concept that they had managed to execute well enough that it it kind of won me over. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But Bendis seems to be essentially doing everything i was afraid johns and jurgens would do and that it, it just it boggles my mind because it's like you have this idea that is potentially very flawed and you manage to somehow pull it off without sucking and then the very next guy who comes in he's like you know what my big story's going to be i'm going to take this i'm going to take the the jorel Jor- thing and i'm going to make it suck yeah and I'm just like, man, that hurts. And I, like I said, I've been ambivalent about Bendis, but I didn't, I, I really want to be excited about Bendis, simply because the books are in such a good place right now. I care about Superman in a way that I, I haven't in years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the marriage is back, which is always a, a, it's a thing for me, because I grew up in the era where they established their relationship in this way.
2: And I think you and I are in the same place on that. I was so yeah. happy to see that back.
0: But so to me, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I I had mixed feelings about the Bendis of it all, but I really wanted, like, ignoring my expectations, I wanted to like it, and it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it that makes me really sad because I it's like you know, I really want to go into the Man of Steel miniseries with some hope that okay, this is going to blow my mind. But this prologue was not a promising sign. Wow. You know, the, the fact that Superman spent the whole time unconscious, that, you know, you essentially made it a story about this villain, which I guess would be fine if the villain had anything interesting to say. Exactly. But he just ranted and, like, bitch slapped Supergirl like she's mm-hmm. unimportant. And... Uh, By the, by the time the Bendis story came around, there had been about 55 pages in a row without Lois in it. And I'm just, I'm like, come on guys, like this was such a great thing. And it just seems to like fall apart at the end. And then that last panel where he's like, Oh, and by the way, the bad guy's Jorel. I'm just like, Oh Jesus. And, and it's funny because I love Krypton and we've been talking about Krypton. However, I am actually a person who is really, I'm always ambivalent about Krypton stories. Uh, the television show didn't really win me over until I went to Comic-Con and, like, found out more details and saw how passionate the, the cast and crew were and all that, and with Bendis, it, it seems that, once again, he's doing the thing that so many people have done when they come and take over the Superman titles, which is going back to Krypton and trying to rewrite the mythology. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it bothers me because I'm, to me, Superman is Clark. He's not Kal-El. He didn't live there. He's not Supergirl,
1: Mm -mm. you know? Yeah.
0: And, And so, to me, going back to Krypton in a hope, in the hopes of redefining Superman fundamentally misses what I find appealing about Superman.
1: Yeah, I, and like now that you mentioned the like Clark Kalel of it all, you reminded me the, the issue, like the, the story in action where he's kind of like saying goodbye to, um, his parents, like as the world Mm -hmm. is burning and that whole thing, that story as well, like kind of, I Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: the
1: Tom King one, like it, it messed me up in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I know that was kind of the intention of it all, but like it, and it was, it, it like tapped into, him being Clark and yeah. resonated in a way more to me than like
2: a kal sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, think- I mean, and then sorry, no, go ahead.
2: Uh, actually, I was going to say, I think for me, anytime when someone comes on to a Superman story and wants to go back to Krypton, um, it just bothers me because, and this might just be because I'm like, a- I'm a Kansan. Um, <laughs> I always am like S- Superman's a boy from Kansas. That, that's yeah. just who he is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going back to Krypton every time, it, it just roll my eyes. But I will say this. I, I will probably, I, I'm willing, I'm such a Superman fan that I'm willing to go to some very weird places with writers to see what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because I always maintain perhaps naively Superman's hope. And I <laughs> yeah. hope that someone will come fix it. And usually <laughs> they do if I give them enough time. And sometimes it means I break up with DC comics for a few years on, on a clip. And yeah. then I come back when someone's like, no, they made it better. You can come back. Here's, here's, you know, look, it's better. Um, yeah. But yeah, anytime they go back to the whole Kryptonian, no, he's a boy from Kansas. <laughs> he's a boy from Kansas who had a very interesting, you know, journey to get here, but it, fundamentally he, he's John and Martha Kent's son. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's really, I grew up in the post man of steel as in John Byrne, Man of Steel Era. Right. Mm -hmm. Where Clark... And here's the thing. I do not buy into this nonsense about how Clark is a parody of humanity. That Superman... You know, that the reason he was klutzy and dim-witted and whatever else is because that's how he sees us. That's an asinine reading of Mm -hmm. Superman mythology. But I will say that the the fact that they made Clark such a loser for the first 50 years of his existence did make him very difficult to be an aspirational figure as Clark. Right. And it kind of said like, he's only got value when he's Superman and post man of steel, when they made Clark a really interesting story, uh, or a really interesting character that fundamentally changed the kind of dynamic of the Clark-Superman balance, and that's part of why it was so easy for writers in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s to make him Clark and not Kal-El. And mm-hmm. I think that when you see the folks who came on in 2000 and tried to undo most of what Byrne and Ordway and Wolfman and Jurgens had done, the f- it's, it's very telling that the first thing Jeff Loeb did when he got to Superman was to tell a reimagining of Krypton that essentially undid big chunks of man of steel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so to me, it, it I had this great interview with John Bogdanov a while back when they were doing, when we had the, when it was the 20th anniversary of uh, electric blue Superman. And John talked at length about the philosophy in the Superman editorial room in the nineties. And he essentially verbalized a lot of what we were just saying about Clark. And I was I was just struck by the fact that I didn't know how in sync I was with that editorial philosophy, but it's always, like, it's been there. And uh, I'll have to find, I, I believe that I have that audio, maybe I'll try to drop it in the next episode. But that is something that a lot of writers miss, and I'm very worried that Bendis is going to miss it. And the fact that he chooses to start with not just Krypton, but with, hey, jor a dick, really concerns me in that regard.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I totally we'll get that, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a valid concern.
0: All right, why don't we go around the room and do the social media thing, because you guys can get back to work. And I have somebody who, uh, I, I have a copy of Action Comics 1000 that I got for a friend, and he's going to come upstairs and get it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. I don't know which one of us wants to go first.
0: Why don't we start with Nicole since she's never been on the show, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up with me.
2: All right. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Life in Polaroid. All right.
1: Uh, Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hey It's Um, there you can find a link to my other podcast, which is called Tomato Tomato, a movie podcast. Um, we talk about Superman. Here and there, like in our Justice League episode, we talked about him a lot. So if, if you want to hear more of this, then you can go there or just check out any of our other episodes.
0: And same thing with me. You can find me on Twitter at, at Russ Burlingame or at ECV underscore comics, which is the show. You In my Russ Burlingame bio, you can find links to the ECV comics uh, podcast, the Emerald City video podcast, Archie Digest or Riverdale podcast and to my author's page at comicbook.com. So basically if you want to know what I'm doing, go there and spread from that point.
1: Yes. And you can find so, all of our comicbook.com stuff there too.
0: So,
2: yeah,
1: same yes. For and in, mine, in fact, if you, you, go, go,
0: to yeah. if, if you go to comicbook.com slash DC at any time of day or night, uh, the first three stories that you click on are probably ours.
2: Yes. Very much so. Yes. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, everybody, thank you for listening. You can like, rate, share, subscribe, uh, you know, in your podcatcher of choice. We are on just about everything, Blueberry, Stitcher, iTunes, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Podbean is where I host. So if you want to read the uh, the show notes, which will be a little bit more in depth this week than usual, you can go there. Or you can go to uh, the ECV Presents Panel Discussions Facebook page, like that page, and usually I put the show notes in a, like, document attached to the link so thanks very much and i will be back literally tomorrow to do a deeper dive into the actual episode of krypton with john and jeff i just really wanted to i'm, I'm on the set of shazam doing a set visit and i wanted to make sure that a, a an episode this big didn't get glossed over because i was busy so
3: thanks a lot